Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, hi there. Hey, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and you know the big question is, are you ready to change? Now, here's what I know to be true. Oftentimes, it is super important for somebody to make that commitment, and yet that commitment can wax and wane. And so if it is something that you want, you want really badly from the bottom of your heart, then you got to create the environment to support your changes because this is not an easy thing to do. And yet, if you do it, if you uh, surrender to what you need to do to make your life better, I promise, absolutely promise, that the promises, the principles that say this works, will occur for you. There's no reason for you to believe that it won't occur for you. I mean, come on. You have the intent. You want your sexual addiction to be contained, you want to be a better person, and you want to start liking yourself again. And and it's very hard to like yourself when in reality, in reality what is happening is that everything you do works against you. Everything that you do works against you. And so here's the good news. When you work the 10 recovery tools and you make your life different and you decide that you are going to ascribe to all those things that support you, you can't fail. You absolutely can't fail. Now, I know there may be... Some, there may be a lot of doubt in you, not just some doubt, but a lot of doubt in you. But you've tuned into the show. You know I'm the, I've got the oldest radio show going, internet radio show going on sexual addiction. I know what I'm doing, and I have, I have interviewed the experts for the last five years. And the good news is, that together, you and I can make your life different. So how do you do it? What do you have to do to be different from some of the other people that don't do so well? Well, it's an easy formula 
to remember, it's a difficult formula to enhance. First of all, I would ask you, why do you want to change? What is at that core that says, I am ready to make my life different? Okay, then the second thing I want to ask you is, are you ready to do what it takes to beat this addiction? Because, you know, people can call it, uh, they can call it sexual compulsivity, they can call it hypersexuality, they can call it sexual addiction, but i got to tell you, this is a process addiction, and a process addiction means that this is a whole lot harder to beat than a cocaine addiction, a crack addiction. Um, it's a whole lot harder to beat than alcoholism and any kind of drug addiction. Why? Well, in part because it is an experience that you're dealing with that has to do with your everyday life. You know, there are ten types of sexual addiction. You may not have known that, and I would encourage you to go to my YouTube channel, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and look up the YouTube video, The Gifts of a Sex Addict. Because truly, in that video, it is a 10-minute video where I had to actually um, present for 10 minutes to the second. And I talk about the 10 types of sexual addiction and the 10 recovery tools. Now, the 10 types of sexual addiction have to do with fantasy sex, and that is when you feel a compulsion towards sexual addiction and it's because of your fantasy. It's not so much what's going on in your life. It is what you're fantasizing about. The second type of sexual addiction is voyeurism and that isn't just peeping into people's windows. That is looking at things without the other person's knowledge. Believe it or not, that's also pornography. I mean, when you look at porn and you are voyeuring and you're watching, that is voyeurism at its finest. And then we have exhibitionism. And that's not just taking off your clothes and exposing yourself in a trench coat, the stereotypical exhibitionism. You know, I've had many a couple, many a client that had the thrill of exposing themselves, maybe having sex on a car, um, going to a public place and having sex because the thrill of being caught doing something they weren't supposed to was bigger than the sexual addiction. There is something called bartering. When you barter sex for other um, duties or other privileges, you know, there's no better barter than a construction worker who talks to the housewife and gets oral sex, has oral sex, because they fix her garbage disposal. That's bartering. Or a policeman who decides not to give you a ticket if you have sex in the back of his squad car. Okay, so we've got that. Then we have other forms of sexual addiction. Exploitation, which means you exploit somebody younger or less powerful than you for sex. That's never good. Um, Frauderism, 
touching somebody without their knowledge. Again, not what you should be doing. So I've gone over some of the types of sexual addiction, and I want you to know there are ten types. And and really, if you believe that you may suffer from one of these, or if you want to really look at the ten types, go to sexhelp.com. There you can get articles that help you to identify is this just a whim for you or do you have a sexual addiction? And what I, I know is that if you can't stop, you've told yourself you're going to and you can't, that's a problem. If it interferes with your family relationships, it's a problem. If it interrupts your work, it's a problem. If it affects your sleep, it's a problem. If it costs you money that you don't have, it's a problem. Actually, if it costs you money that you do have. I mean, right now I'm working with somebody who spent $525,000 on gambling debts in the last year. Obviously, this is a rich man. The point is that's a lot of money to spend on gambling in addition to his sexual addiction. And that's what I want you to know, that these addictions confuse They confuse, and so it's no longer just one addiction, it's two. Maybe you have to get drunk before you call a prostitute. Maybe you have to do coke before you go to a bathhouse. Maybe you have to spend lots of money to stir up that arousal template before you have your affair. There's oftentimes lots of fusing of sex addiction with some other dopamine high. Now, you know that I talk about the fact that clearly sexual addiction means that it's a brain problem. It's a neuroscience problem. You have created a dopamine charge that is now addictive. That's what happens when you take heroin or you take oxycodone or you um, do methamphetamine or you drink alcohol. You are submersing the, the dopamine center of the brain and sex does the same thing. And when that happens and you produce that dopamine high, you are in so many ways creating something that is bigger than you. When the brain trains the body and the mind to need something, then we have to calm that brain down. And that may mean we're going to ask you not to masturbate because when you masturbate, you fantasize. And when you fantasize, you're feeding the brain. Or we're going to ask you not to drink because when you drink, it lowers your inhibitions. And when it lowers your inhibitions, you go out and you um, expose yourself. It's all interrelated, and it's important to know who you are, what you do, and get yourself to a certified sexual addictions therapist. That is a person who has studied this neuroscience and understands how the brain works and knows what to do to make you feel better. Now, i got to tell you, tonight I am going to be interviewing Ollie. And Ollie is a partner who is married or was married to a sex addict, a female sex addict. Um, You're going to find out more about his story, and we're going to talk about how you can do that. But, you know, there's a belief that all partners are alike because all sex addicts are alike. But there really is a gender difference for partners who are male or who are female. And so what I want to tell you is that this man's story and his struggle 
about what he's gone through is a bit different from a woman. It's fascinating, it's riveting, and, you know, we wanted to have him on the show because we don't have enough men talking about the issues that they have to face. And when I had the opportunity to interview him, I said, oh, my goodness, I want to do that because his experience as a partner is very, very different. So, Ollie, welcome to the Sex Help with Carol the Coach show, and Boy, I'm glad you're here to share your own personal experience. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having yes. me. Yes, absolutely. And I know you reached out to one of my colleagues, and and I said, oh, I would love to interview him if he has the courage to talk a little bit about his situation. And you actually have a story that... Um, explains to the public what you've been through. And so I want to suggest that if anybody wants to hear his story, I am a male partner, they go to www. I would hold on a second with that, actually. Um, okay. And that indeed is a, a central part of what we're talking about here. They can't go there anymore. And uh, even if you were to give out that website it would reveal my name my name is not Ali but that's what I'm going by I'm from Georgia no I'm not I'm from somewhere else um, okay we can get into so that if you'd like to I have to obtain my <clears throat> privacy because the female partner sex addict wants to be private so because she is still in secrecy my identity needs to be in secrecy got it or well, I, we uh, she's threatening to, take away, threatening to take away my kids we have a we have a child, and uh, she's doing everything she can to remove that child from my custody right now, um, based solely on the fact that I am public with my story. Well, tell me a little bit about your story. We don't need to go into your name or any of the demographics, but talk a little bit about what happened to you and your relationship with your wife. Uh, we were married for... Only two years. I say only because I've met people now who've been through this decades. But we, ours was married two, no, three years when we had a one-year-old child. At that point, I discovered uh, that she had been having sex with other men, live sex with men, um, the whole time I knew her, including while dating, including months after the marriage, including while pregnant. It even induced a miscarriage. Well, maybe medically didn't, but... Uh, we had a miscarriage the night before she was having sex with somebody else. Um, and uh, as soon as she was discovered, she labeled herself as a sex addict and was apologetic for a couple months and then immediately flipped overnight, decided that she had been abused the whole time, even though she had never uttered one word of discontent. And uh, without telling me of the abuse notion, she filed for divorce, spent the next year and a half taking hundreds of thousands of dollars and splitting our child's life. He was a baby. Now he's a few years old, and he's had to go between houses almost every day for his infancy and toddlerhood and for the next rest of his life till he's 18, as the way it goes. Well, this certainly has been a nightmare for you. So it sounds like initially when you discovered that your wife was a sex addict, she was willing to do some of the hard work. How did you discover this? I'm sure, as a lot of people do, one of the men's wives contacted me. Is how I discovered I didn't discover it by sniffing something out. and so I didn't suspect anything at all. And having been through a lot of the industry and literature and so forth now, I've come to my own conclusions about this. The reason I did not suspect anything is because she was that good. It's not because my nose was off or or um I was complicit in the relationship somehow of of avoidant intimacy or something. I just uh, she was just that good. I'm I'm a pretty sharp fellow in my day job and I'm not saying that in a narcissistic way. I'm just saying that uh she was that good. 
in terms well, of keeping you know, it all secret. you say that because that is 100% what I endorse as well as APSATS, APSATS endorses. They say, you know, this isn't about you having some problem as a partner. This is about the addict being very good, very sly, very conniving, very con- deceitful, and as a result... When you do get the information, there really weren't a lot of clues. It's not like you were in denial or it's not like you caused it. It is about you kind of being hijacked as a partner because you loved this person and you had no idea that they could do that to you. Exactly, and it starts with uh, getting to know the person right when we met, when we were dating. Um, she was uh, sweet as anything and uh, pursued me and chased me, and that felt real good. Now, I know there's a whole industry saying that, uh, therefore, I, I sh- that should have lit off my signals, that no one should chase you that much and that something was wrong with that. And I, I don't believe that. I believe when someone is really into you and really loving and sweet and kind and bends over backwards for you, that's actually a perfect partner to have. Um, and so I fell for that. Okay, so you fell for that, and, you know, obviously there were a lot of strengths initially in the marriage. Here's what I believe. Not only were there a lot of strengths, but there was probably some deceit, too. So what do you believe are the differences that you've observed between how male addicts and female addicts are treated? Um, It's... It's just uh, the whole world is absolutely different for for the two. Um, you know, there's really no literature. There's a lot of literature pointing out the fact that female addicts, um, you know, maybe are more into romance. Male addicts are more into, uh, you know, strip clubs or pornography or whatever. That's fine. But the part of the comparison that I have not seen is that female addicts are given uh, – they have more outs. Namely, the moment that my ex now realized that she can claim abuse, that is a bulletproof gaslight blame shift right there. Um, It's not available to men. Men in this society cannot claim abuse. A male sex addict cannot say they were getting prostitutes because they were being abused at home. No, that just doesn't work, at least not in this society in this day. Um, But a female can do that, and it's... uh, it's celebrated even that she better get away from that guy. And so she's totally supported. And then our legal system uh, endorses it because right or wrong, most men make money, more money than most women. That's that's just a fact of life. And um, most women often sometimes are at home with the child. So when you put those together, a male sex addict, his wife partner can say, I'm going to leave and take all the money and kids. And so that male sex addict has to be real scared and get his act together, and he has a lot of incentive to straighten up. Whereas a female sex addict, by the same logic, has the opposite incentive. She has the incentive to take all the money and kids and gaslight her way out of there because the legal system well, um, and, supports and that. And exactly I audience, I mean, we've talked about gaslighting before, but what is gaslighting to you? You know, there's, I guess there are probably different uh, different definitions. To me, it's basically any sort of uh, making up any sort of story that's not true in order to continue to protect their identity in secrecy. Uh, some variation well, yeah, of that well, is, is what it is to me. Not only making up that story, but then on some level, when they come back to you, they make you feel crazy for believing that something's wrong or that something isn't right or that something contradicts each other. You know, it's it's understandably making you kind of feel crazy for having some beliefs or feelings that are actually very, very true. And so gaslighting is a process by which addicts make you feel guilty because they want you, well, they want to keep you off guard. Um, so now, again, your wife had multiple affairs. Is that correct, Ollie? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. And you yes. actually found out because one of her affair partners spouses called you and let you know about that. Yes. Okay. And so being a male partner, what resources are available for you? Not much. So I've been through the whole industry, and mm-hmm. I can talk about them. So first, we uh, when she d- identified herself as a sex addict, I had never heard about it. Even though I'm, I work in a helping profession in my training, I'd never heard about it. I said, okay, let's Google it up. We found a sex addict therapist, the first one we could find who was available. We went to him. He didn't tell us he was a sex addict himself. Of course, I found that out much later. He seemed very partial to her. Of course, I didn't know that at the time that that's absolutely uh, boilerplate for how this goes down. Um, At times, he even seemed attracted to her, but he was very partial to her. When I said, well, I'm going to leave the relationship, he told me, hold her hand, look in her eyes, tell her that you love her and that you won't leave. Okay. When she said she's going to leave the relationship, uh, respect her decision, stuff like that. So we went to that therapist, and, you know, he's, suggested the whole world of 12-step and so forth. So there I went. He, of course, could not point me to any groups. He didn't even know where they were, so I had to find them myself. I'm in a large metro area. And uh, so I went over to Essanon and was, as they say, the only man in the room, literally. There's two meetings in town, a big one and a small one. And the big one, rarely there was another man. Otherwise, it was all women. So I did the phone ones. There's a number of phone Essanons. You can the same thing. They're national. Rarely there's another man. So I contacted the SNN, um World Service Office, I think it's called, and said, I need a sponsor because there's no local male sponsor. And they said, we'll send you our list of men in the United States who are willing to be sponsors. Fantastic. They sent me a list that had two names on it. So I called one, and he was my sponsor. I worked the steps. Okay. Um, then I uh, realized this whole SNN thing's kind of fishy, you know, uh, yeah, they say I didn't cause it, I didn't control it, but I don't need a self-help improvement program. If I did, I'd be, you know, reading uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or something. My life sucks right now because I'm in pain because of the trauma. I don't need a uh, improvement, a personal growth program. Um, that was a nice distraction. So I started looking in other directions. I found a individual trauma therapist. She was uh, fantastic, absolutely great. I never quite asked her, but I think I was her first male partner. But that still, she did a she did a great job. Um, but she had a uh, partners group. In fact, my large metro area has a few partners groups. They're all for female only. Uh, she actually asked her partners group, "Can I join?" And they said yes. And I went for a year, more than a year. I was the only man in the room. These women were wonderful. There was, you know, uh, six to twelve other uh, partners. They're all women. I couldn't identify with almost anything they said because. Well, they were women talking about boundaries they were going to put on their men. Where I was a man whose wife had left me. I couldn't put a boundary on her, so it was only very loosely applying to me. And even then, took a break for a month or two around a holiday, the holidays a couple of years ago. And then when it reconvened, there were new women. And that therapist who I had, who was great, she asked the new women, do they mind having a male? I, I found that interesting because I had already predated them and they actually said no we're not comfortable with a male in the room okay wow and you were a veteran that shouldn't have been a part of it you were already an established group member shame on them you know i went so i I can't believe that you didn't get more clout than that and i guess she was being respectful and at the same time she didn't realize that they might not feel comfortable and who knows why? You have the exact same issues as they do, except for there are more um, stereotypes against you. There is less resources for you. I mean, I work with a, I work with about five male partners, and all of them say, we're embarrassed to talk about this. You know, we don't get support from people because our wives go out and cheat. We don't have people rallying around us taking care of the kids while we go to therapy. It it seems like there is not the same level of support or sophistication in helping a male partner. No, no. So the resources list continues. So I said, 
Okay, there's these national intensives. They're around the country, so I found one in that. I will go ahead and give the name because it's a national thing. The Bethesda workshops run by Marnie Faree, uh, one of the leaders in that uh, industry of female sex addiction. She wrote the book, in fact, the textbook on the issue. And so I said, hey, that is the place I need to go. And off I went to Nashville and uh, sat in the partners thing. Now, um, the first curiosity, of course, there's like 25 partners. Myself and one other were male. The rest were female. Okay, well, it's better than just me being the only male. Um, the second curiosity, and this is a big one, um, the workshop was run in conjunction with the one for female addicts. So parts of our experience were in the same room as female addicts. So that may not have been triggering to the 20 three female partners who were in the room, but there was us two male partners who had a, I was sitting there watching female addicts, one of whom at one point was drunk and um, laying in the corner because she was using while she was, while she was there at the workshop. Now they also have a male sex addict conference at Bethesda, but uh, mind you, there's no parallel um, female, uh, there's no parallel workshop at that point, basically. They don't put um, male... Oh, and i got to tell you, you know, I love Marnie Free and Bethesda's a good, good treatment center, but what I hear you saying is that you are definitely in the minority, and as a result of being in the minority, the services for you are not um, top-notch. They try to fit you in where they can, whether that be with Essanon, with COSA, with treatment centers. It doesn't feel like there are enough of you to make a difference to create good treatment. Is that what I hear? That's exactly it. Yeah, that's what I, I understand that. And, and the literature. You know, that's going to change. but. Too. Yeah, here you are a pioneer in the field because you're one of the brave ones who's willing to talk about it. And probably in 20 years, there will be services for a lot of male partners. But right now, you have to struggle through that and either make it your own or feel different. And so, you know, Ali, I'm just so sorry that you have to go through this. I want you to know it shouldn't be like this. And yet, Although sex addiction obviously has occurred forever and ever and ever, this is an epidemic now because of the digital world. It's accessible, it's anonymous, and it's affordable. And that means that you have women who have unmet childhood wounds, who are traumatized, who then go out and search for love and or sex. And, you know... I've talked with doctors, and I've said, wow, this is an epidemic, whether it's a man looking for women or a woman looking for men, and the doctors will say, well, what's really wrong with that? I mean, it's like there's no compassion for what you're going through. And it sounds like your ex-wife, right, she is your ex? She is now, yes. She filed for divorce yeah. and left. I, I didn't. So she has... Um, She's fighting you for what is normal, natural, and necessary, and, and that would be your, your child. Well, yeah, she I, fought for my business. I have a helping business, and because I made more money than her, coincidentally, I, I have a not-for-profit business. It's not registered uh -huh. as 501c3, but it's a not-for-profit. It works with a terribly underserved se segment of society, and she took hundreds of thousands of dollars from that. Um, out of entitlement, whatever. Um, I don't know the mm -hmm. reason. And she immediately bought herself a new car, a new whatever. Uh, lives in a bigger house, has a bigger retirement account, even though she's 10 years younger than me, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, now that those uh, those games are done, now it's uh, child time. And uh, so she's using the fact that I wrote up my story and put it online and trying. And plus the fact that uh, my emails with her have previously, not now, but even a year ago, been um, – angry which is actually thoroughly normal you know given the situation but uh she's able to claim that look he's unable to cooperate as a parent and this is parental alienation online and therefore i should have the kid all the time and so forth even though 
for the last two years, I actually have the kid two-thirds of the time, depending on how you count it. I actually had basically quit my job and became a stay-at-home dad while she took a promotion and doubled her pay at work, and she gets child support from me. I'm stay-at-home dad Sunday through Thursday. I go into work only occasional Fridays anymore, and I take care of the kid the whole time, and she's still trying to take him away. It just uh, doesn't make sense for me to see. And, and so let me just ask you, do you feel that the legal system um, in any way supports you, or do they? do you think that they have a bias towards the women, which in this case it's a woman sex addict, uh, because she is a woman. You know, there's probably an inherent bias because everybody's a human towards her. Also, uh, my fake name that I'm giving you, Ali, is still Ali for a reason. I'm brown. She's white. Just like there's inherent race issues, there's inherent gender issues. But we don't even have to talk about what's below the surface. On the surface, the issues uh, are pretty straightforward. Um, You know, the whole money thing, a man usually is making more than the woman, right or wrong, that's the way it is. And so she had the ability to take all that money. And then to use that for child support calculations, too, until I can change that. Um, and uh, as far as the child, I guess we're going to see. So she's requested a PRE, if you know what that is, Parenting Rights Evaluation, Child Custody Evaluation, it's called in some places, kind of a version of a CFI, Child Family Investigator. And uh, now we get to go through that fund for, you know, half a year or whatever it takes between all the motions and so forth. Um, as she tries to take away, and uh, you might have to check back with me to see how that uh how that ended up, but I, I, I fully agree with you that there's going to be implicit biases from start to finish. Who's going to look at a situation and say that a a male should get more custody over a female? I'd like to say it's as straightforward as saying, well, look, I've I've been the majority parent for the last couple of years, and look at all these other examples of her not acting in best interest of the child, including having sex while pregnant, but... Nobody cares about that stuff. There's all kinds of arguments against it, like, well, that was pre-decree, meaning a court should ignore absolutely everything before the divorce decree. If you had a problem with that, you should have brought it up before the decree. Okay, so we have a baseline from then going forward. There's so many legal maneuvers like that that it's just a nauseating system. Our whole legal system with the families absolutely goes against family values, um, or the benefit of raising a child in a in a intact home. And we don't have the societal structure to create those intact homes. That starts with the sex addiction piece. When we can applaud women going out and having sex in other places because they're feeling lonely and so forth. Um, you know, there's there's a reason we have a high divorce rate in this country, and we, we can't just compare it to other countries and say, well, those are, those other countries, um, you know, they're paternalistic systems where the women are oppressed and whatever. It's not that simple. I think there's places in this country that have very nice family structures within certain religious, uh, within certain churches, for example. Um, you have much smaller divorce rates because you have a high rate of peer pressure to uh, to not be cheating so forth but we don't have that sort of peer pressure in our society so men cheat women cheat it's part of who we are as americans well what i clearly hear you saying and what i want our audience to understand is that there is a real discrimination against you because you're male and you're a male partner of a sex addict and there are stereotypes that work against you and so I just want to ask you, because obviously I never think any situation is all bad. Have you found any organization, any um, anybody who supports you in being a male partner of a sex addict? Uh, no. <laughs> who would that be? <laughs> No, well, you know, myself, right? i got to tell you, I'm in Indianapolis, and our COSA groups 100% support male sex addicts. Now, again, you're right. There may be only one or two of you, and one of you might be heterosexual, and the other one may be gay, because, of course, that's where you also 
experienced male partners is if it's in a gay relationship. So here you got two guys, one gay, one not, but our COSA groups really embrace and really understand it is exactly the same personal trauma, but it's not the same personal trauma because there's that stereotype. And so I, I was hoping maybe you'd say, well, you know what? When I talked to Barb Steffens at Appsats, she got my, she got. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm going to say that. I, I will. Uh, sorry, I, I, my mind was still on the legal because we were talking about that. But you're absolutely true. The Barb Steffens and Means that book is uh, that book. That's the Bible. That's where anybody needs to start with this. And I read it uh, a couple years ago now when this was first coming or my issue was first uh, starting and then I put it down because I read probably 50 other books in the industry but then recently I came back to the book and just realized just how spot on that book is and I just moved that to the front and keep it on the top of my dresser that is one the other that we all probably know about is uh Minwala out of um out of LA there yeah he's got his own ideas and models Right, he's he's got his model that he's developing there, the compulsive abuse of sexual relation disorder. That's fantastic. He's he's trying to come up with a new, um, you know, ICD code or DSM code for it. That's great. Uh, but he's also pointing out that look, it already exists if you just classify it under the uh, um, conduct disorders. This is a conduct disorder because there's someone who's getting abused and someone who doesn't care that that they're abusing other people. Um, and I, so I like his line of thinking there. He's I haven't uh, actually you know, communicated with him, but uh, he's a good one. That one local therapist I met, she was very helpful to me in the ways I described. So there are those pockets. There's another, uh, there's um, Lily with a POSARC, um, Lily B, the Partners of Sex Addicts resource site. You know, she understands it, but even her website is, you know, most of the time using words like she and tailored to women. And that's understandable because that's who's out there because the men are hiding because they're embarrassed. No, you're exactly right. That's a good point, that they're embarrassed that this is happening to them. And yet what I promise you to be true, and it's not really going to make you feel better, is that there are so many sex addicts that are female and or sex and love addicts that are female that are betraying their spouses, they're lying to their spouses, they're abandoning their kids, they're abandoning their families, and they're not getting the help they need because they feel on some level justified to meet their childhood wounds and trauma. Now, I don't know. Some addicts don't have childhood wounds and trauma. And so I don't know if your wife, if you believe your wife did and she's reenacting that trauma or if this is just bad behavior that became compulsive and now she can't stop or chooses not to stop. What do you think? Probably some of, probably some of both. She grew up in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's, there's the whole family story. One parent might be avoidant. One might have been overprotective. But, you know, that that's never sufficient. So part nature, part nurture, whatever it is, it's bad behavior. That's that's all it comes down to. Yeah, well, and and I agree, but I don't. Now, I'm a CSAT. I'm a certified sexual addictions therapist, so I work with sex addicts. But I'm also a partner trauma specialist, and I'm on the board, and I train clinicians, so I really understand partner trauma, which is what you're discussing. You know, not only have you been traumatized by your wife, but what you're saying is I've been traumatized by the system. There are no supports for me. The legal system doesn't support me. Uh, therapists don't get it, treatment centers don't get it, Uh, I just don't have enough support. And so that's what we call institutional or therapy trauma. So I do understand that it's like layer after layer after layer of injustice. Would you not agree? I agree. I I fully agree. Yeah, that's that's my story. Of course, you know, when I sit in the... I'm going to do a little therapy with you. Are you ready? Sure. He goes, no, I didn't sign up for therapy. I just signed up to <laughs> no. tell myself. But, okay, no, go tell, ahead. Me what, tell me what your strengths are. As, as a partner, male or female, as a partner, what are your strengths? How have you gotten through this? How have I gotten through this? 
Um, wait, so if you're asking specifically how have I gotten through this, uh, the biggest way is time, literally pure time. Uh, time heals everything. I went to a lot of therapy. It was helpful in various ways. I don't know if it was equal to whether if I just sat at home and dealt with it myself, the same amount of time would have passed. Uh, some people run studies on that stuff. But uh hate to say, but the biggest thing is just, gosh, thank God it's been a couple of years. All right, so what I hear you saying is that time is something that's getting you through. And here's what I believe. I mean, there's got to be some personality characteristics about you that have weathered the storm. For instance, I can tell you're a fighter. I, you know, or you wouldn't have had that, that uh, here's my story, and you wouldn't have contacted Barb Steffens, and you wouldn't have agreed to be on my show. There's a part of you that wants people to know about the injustice, and also I believe probably a part of you that wants to right the wrong. You'd like to have more male partners feel like there are some resources out there. Is that true? That's all true, and a lot of the therapy I said, and of course followed the models of then going into childhood trauma and so forth and looking for that, and you know the obvious stuff to pull out being someone of color in this country, there's plenty of racism in the childhood because I grew up here also, and plenty of racism ongoing, and uh, that's where a lot of the fighting the injustice comes in, and that plays into what I do for work, which I won't get into, but uh, that's all fantastic, but... um, you know, that, I guess that applies to some extent as to where I'm at, but someone else could be in my shoes and they're, they're having to deal with it too, uh, if, even if they, even if they're not such a fighter. They just have to let the time pass and, and suck it up and deal with it. Lots of men out there doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And so I kind of hear you saying, yeah, I have a couple things working against me. I am a male partner of a sex addict, and I'm also a man of color. And between the two, people have trouble empathizing with me, and it's also not an easy thing to come forward and say, this is happening to me, because you don't get a lot of support or a lot of empathy or a lot of validation and acknowledgement. Correct? Right. Even my closest friends who wouldn't be able to do that, they actually can't because they conceptually can't wrap their heads around it. Because who's ever heard of this thing? Yeah, I know. doesn't really feel like there's a safe place to do that. And, and, you know, you are educated and you get that this is uh, a niche. You know, it's something that doesn't happen to everybody. I'm wondering... Would you ever consider starting a partner's group? Because I'm sure in this country, through this show, I could get six or seven male partners together that wanted a support group because it is so distinct. It is so different. It is not the same as being with women partners of sex addicts. Would you ever consider that? And it's okay if you say absolutely not. My my plate is full. Forget it. No, and this this uh, the answer is yes, I would, and the answer is actually even more than that, in an affirmative. But I can't actually even describe it more because because that would get into the current parental rights evaluation in terms of yeah, revealing I my that. identity. You've so be I really I can't careful about your own personal situation first and foremost, right? So, but if anybody comes to you, you can put that that out there right now. If anybody comes to you and wants to be directed to me. Absolutely. That infrastructure can happen. I can be there and make that happen. Well, I so appreciate that because in my own practice, I've had some male partners of sex addicts. And, you know, now this is not meant to be in any way derogatory, but they tend to want to fix it themselves. And and what I know to be true is, yeah, you can get healthy on your own, but it's hard to fix it yourself because I'm a believer that when you've got these kind of issues, you need support, you need recovery tools, you need good books, you need a fellowship. 
I'm a, I am a believer in 12-step programs, although I don't think you have to have it. I think it really helps if you've got a group of people that go, I know where you've been. I'm dealing with the two. It's a little bit different, but I definitely get it. And um, so I think men, here's what I believe. I think men are inherently a little bit different in that they want to fix it themselves. And what I hear you saying is, hey, I was willing to get the help I needed, the help wasn't really out there. I kind of had to fit into what was out there as opposed to it fitting me. That's right. I And all those experiences that I went through in terms of different therapy settings, the most valuable was the partner's group, which is different from the partner's S-Anon. As you know, S-Anon, you unidirectional sharing. You speak, but you don't really respond until after the meeting. Um, the partner's group, where it was led by a therapist, even hardly mattered if the therapist was there, in my opinion. Just the fact of having other partners in, and even though they were all other females, none of whom were getting divorced on, still, that was the most valuable thing to me, was group therapy. It was just hanging out with a bunch of people who've been in the same boat. So that's absolutely a place for men where I would like to be, Yes. Okay, and so when you say group, are you talking Internet groups or telephone groups or, you know, Skype or Zoom groups? Or are you talking face-to-face, hey, we all go into the same office building and talk about our issues? Well, what I did, the, ones I've, the one that I did that I found very valuable was uh, in person because that was me and a bunch of women because that was available here. But, uh, no, in terms of um, me being able to offer – in person if someone's in my area, but by phone, obviously, if uh, someone wants to call in. I had thought about the Internet version of it. It just requires a little bit of um, setup to to get there. There's lots of different forums already for different things, but there's none exactly for this, but it it requires setup and moderation and so forth. And in my opinion, the in-person or phone provide a much higher level of support, or it's much easier to start even. I agree 100%. Well, first of all, you know, I tell people that whenever we're talking sex addiction, we are, although, like I said, sex addiction has been around forever, we're talking about pioneers in the field because really this did not come into play, this kind of addiction, until about 1998 or after. It's when the Internet became so available and understandably, Women or men could get on chat rooms. They could get on Craigslist. I mean, the world was open to them to cheat. And I don't know anything about your ex-wife. I don't know how she did that, and I don't want to know. But what I know to be true about most sex addicts is it's not just about flirting at work anymore. It's about getting on websites, getting in chat rooms, and increasing their visibility. And and accessibility, affordability, and anonymity are the three characteristics that make this epidemic. And so you're dealing with something that has never been dealt with before. And and clearly, in 50 years, there are going to be hospitals for people like your wife, ex-wife. But right now, there aren't. And there certainly aren't groups and facilities and resources for you. And for that, I am so sorry. And I just want to say... Ali, that, you know, clearly you are a pioneer to even be talking about this important issue. Well, thank you. I wish the legal structures would catch up with it because those are what provide incentives. Um, You know, you call it leverage uh, where what reason does someone have to actually look at what they're doing and change it? There has to be some loss they're facing. It doesn't have to be rock bottom or rock bottom could be a gentle rock bottom or a series of rock bottom, whatever. There needs to be some motivation. And, in fact, well, my ex-wife, is she was rewarded very handsomely for what she did. It's the opposite of an incentive. Her incentive is absolutely to continue in her actions. And she may actually, she might have stopped having sex with people, with other people. That doesn't change the underlying behavior because, as you know, it's not about sex. It's about a chronic duplicity. It's about an ability to chronically lead two different lives and her two different lives going on since then have been she was an abused woman, and look at her, how strong she is to make it out of this abused marriage. 
And uh, that's her duplicity that has taken form since then. And she has no incentive to look at it any other way because she was rewarded so well, not only with money, and as we've seen, uh, she's trying to do it with parenting also. So it'd be great to, you know, return to fault marriages, for example. Um, I don't know what other legal structures or ideas out there, but uh, we're not at a point in history where those where those incentives exist. We've swung too far in the other direction right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you to just describe what your belief system is about that. I mean, because you're right. If the legal system had some consequences that encouraged, motivated, and mandated, if you will, that somebody get some help, they might get some support, you might get support, and so would the family. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, that's exactly it. Those systems exist for male cheaters, <clears throat> like I was saying. They they risk losing the kids and the money and whatever in the house and sleeping elsewhere. They risk all that. So that that system absolutely exists there, and it has some benefit. I've talked to a number of uh, male addicts who were motivated by that, but that system is the opposite for female addicts. Um, it needs to be not based on money. Right now it's based on who's making more or less as to who gets the money or kids so forth. There should just be a correlation. You know, in my opinion, I'd like, I don't understand the reason why, why the law has anything to do with marriage anyway. But in my opinion, where that should go is it's in a child's best interest. A child is a product of two human beings, a male and a female usually, but it's in a usually there should be a consensus that it's in the child's best interest to have those two human beings raising that child, making effort for that child, and there should be penalties for things that stray from that. And there should be a consensus saying, well, when someone's having sex outside the relationship, that's pretty basic. You know, this is Ten Commandments stuff. She broke so many of the Ten Commandments and was rewarded for it because our society rewards breaking those Ten Commandments in her case. This is stuff that was figured out thousands of years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, I will put it out there to our listening audience. We're a half a million open downloads a week. If you know of a male partner, maybe you're in an SNN group or a COSA group and you've had a male partner come to your group and they haven't stuck but you have their name and number, please have them contact me at Carol at carolthecoach.com. I would love to be able to get eight to ten male partners together to do some sort of telephonic um, or Zoom-like group. And what I clearly heard Ollie saying is that he is also willing to help lead that group. I would even be a part of that group if you wanted me to, if you needed a therapist. Either way, what I hear you saying is there is a real need and what I know to be true as an APSATS board member as well as a clinical therapist, you know, if there is a big gaping hole in services, we want to try to make that better because there's no more trauma than a partner's trauma. And, Ollie, what I hear you saying is, okay, I got partner trauma, but it's way worse because I'm a male. So I'm going to tell my listening audience, please get a hold of me if if you feel comfortable, and let's put together some sort of group that can make your lives easier. I I run partners groups, both for men and, well, for women, and then I run sex addicts groups for men, and I'm sure I could put together a curriculum that would help you. And I think with Ollie, who has had the courage to get in here and talk about his issue knowing that we have to be sensitive, we want, don't want to do anything that compromises you. Um, I just think there's some hope, strength, and recovery. So I so much thank you, Ollie, for, for sharing your story. I will keep you posted. I want you to use me as a resource anytime you need. And thanks for being on the show. I, I know you'll be making a difference. Thanks, Kara. The one other thing I didn't add is I am actually writing this up in a format, and the uh, author will be named Ali. <laughs> and All right. I have that about half done. I'll be looking to publishers who have already dealt in this area, if, 
if anybody has a connection in that industry, that would be fantastic. I think there will be Excellent. plenty of market even if I go the self-publishing route. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Well, I do, as well as what I believe to be true is that, you know, you're one of the first in the field, and so this could be a Bible for male partners. You keep at it. Let me know when you're finished. I'll keep you posted. You keep me posted, and thanks for your courage tonight, and I wish you the best. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and uh, feel free. We could check back in later if you want. I sure will. Have a good night, and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So that was Ollie. He's a male partner. He has been through so much. And you could hear that at the beginning of the show, he was really angry. And, you know, understandably, what we know about partners is sometimes they've not only been betrayed by their loved ones, but they've been betrayed by the system. And that's what's happened to him. Um, Thank you so much for listening. And... We'll talk again next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. As always, there'll only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We will talk soon. Thanks again. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.